welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 350, another round number. I mean, that means something, right? Right? No. And part two of my conversation with the director of percussion studies at Capital University in Columbus, Ohio, Julie Licata. Let's get right back to it. On part one, which came out last week, which I hope you've already listened to, Julie stopped by to talk about her job at Capitol and what it's like to teach at her undergrad alma mater, her research on performance, and growing up as a student in Ohio. This week in part two, we'll discuss her grad degrees from the University of South Carolina and the University of North Texas, her early teaching career, and an extended segment for the typical close of our show. So let's do it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on May 15th, 2023. And it begins right now. You finish and you do you go right to a master's after that? Mm-mm. No, I um, I actually took a year off after my undergrad and I was teaching private lessons in Columbus at Gehanna Lincoln High School. Yeah, Gehanna Lincoln um, High School. I was working at the Columbus Jazz Orchestra um, digitizing their their library and working at Columbus Percussion, the drum store in town that Bob Breithaupt was the co-owner of at the time. And I did that for a year. Like I took the time off because I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I quickly realized what I wanted to do. Um, I, cause I kind of, my senior, my second semester, my senior year was pretty empty. I had finished my recital. I broke my elbow in a practice. Oh, oh yeah. I fractured my elbow ice skating in like January of my senior year. Um, so I didn't oh, play. That's my- fortunate that it happened after your recital. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of had a late semester and I was working pretty heavy then too. Um, and then by, I think it was like September or even maybe October of that year after I graduated, I was, you know, I was teaching like, I had like 40 students a week that I was teaching half hour lessons to at a couple of different schools. One day I was driving home and I was like, huh, I was like just feeling nostalgic. And I don't know what the, what the word is feeling ephemeral or something. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was like, I just told this student something that one of my teachers told me. And I was like, that's really cool. I want to do that. And so like immediately I, 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 it must've been like October and I immediately went to the PAS website, registered for PASIC. Mm -hmm. And then I like reached out to five or six different people that were teaching at graduate programs that I was interested in, met them all at PASIC, started submitting my applications for graduate school. I had about three weeks over Christmas break to practice for auditions at Capitol because I had no instruments and I was living in an apartment. So I had two weeks to practice for grad school auditions. I went and did those auditions and got, I got myself into school. And, and then, and because at that point I was like, okay, now I know what I want to do. I just went straight through a uh, master's and, and DMA and then directly got a job. So it was a push, a five-year push <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. to, get through, to get through all that. But, um, but it was really good to take that year off. I needed yeah. to do that to know what I really wanted to do. Because what I said, and I've said this to my students too, like on, the only thing I knew when I graduated from Capital was what I did not want to do. And I did not want to be an orchestral musician anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And I said, no, no, 
I cannot put myself through that. Like that is not, I don't want to do that. I mean, yes, I would love to play in an orchestra, but I do not, I do not want to go through that process of getting there, of practicing the, those excerpts and of going through the whole audition process. Yeah. I just was not, not into that. Not that the college teaching audition process is any easier. <laughs> it's a different kind of. It's a different thing. Yeah. 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 Well, it's kind of like, hey, that that five hours a day you were practicing, it's cute. You know, it's adorable. <laughs> it's cute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it's nice. It's a nice warm up, Julie. Yeah, it's good. That's yeah. Great. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can start get to work, getting work. That's come up, that comes up kind of as a theme sometimes with here mm-hmm. and there of of the break. Yeah. Uh, I took a semester off. Yeah. Between my master's and doctorate. And the same, and it was just like I just need my, I just need not be in school for. Yeah. And as soon as it's, it's not, it was, and maybe the same thing. Like you, once you were out, you're like, no, actually, now I'm, now I'm ready to go back in. Like yeah, yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. 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 I mean, I will, I will say for sure, like almost every semester of every year of school, I was like, oh, is this really what I want to do? Like this is, there's, there's some misery involved in this. Do yeah. I really want to do this? And can I do it without losing? Without, can I do it without? like fully getting burnt out. I mean, and I yeah. think taking those breaks is really important because I mean, even, I mean, like I, I usually do not teach during the summer. I can't, I just can't, I need a break. I mean, yeah. I, I have colleagues who do like four or eight works, eight weeks of um, music camps in the summer yeah. between teaching. And I'm like, Oh no, no, I can't do this. It's, yeah. it's just too much. I need to, I need to step away. I mean, some people need to keep doing it and yeah. I just, I just can't handle it all the time. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot. Yeah. It, it's, this is where like the social media thing, like can, can kind of get to you. Cause you, oh, you'll yeah. see, you'll see colleagues and they'd be like, Oh, that would be great to do. Like, I like, you know, they like these camps in all various parts of the world or the competitions. And, and a part of me is like, man, that would, that'd be great. And then there's another part that says, I actually just want to hang out at my house. Yeah. Very, very little. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of hanging out at my house. <laughs> Yes. I have a, I have a nice, like, well, when I get into my new house now, like I have in my last house, I had a nice ritual of waking up every morning. I mean, I'll tell you when I went on my first sabbatical, it took me about a week to say, man, I I could retire. I could do this. (laughs) Um, But I, but I just like, I get up and I get up with no alarm clock. Yeah. I make my coffee or my tea. I take it outside and I walk around the yard and I look at the progress of the plants that are growing. Say, oh, this one's popping up today. And then like, you know, I had these plants that pop up at every different part of the the, the year. Mm -hmm. And then I'd sit there and listen to the birds for like an hour. That's, I am ready to retire. I I do it. (laughs) I can watch grass grow like nobody's business and then go mow it and then watch it again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm totally into it. Mm-hmm. I, f- I feel I feel a kindred spirit sometimes. Yes. Kind of yeah. Okay, so now when you go to South Carolina, right, is is mm-hmm. your masters. Mm-hmm. When you go to South Carolina, first thing that indicates that you are no longer in Ohio. <laughs> the T. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And the, and the, the, and, and the accent, of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. But definitely. You mean, you mean hi? 
Yeah, the tea. No, I no. can't even do it. I can't even do it. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I remember drinking that sweet tea for the first time. A friend made it for me, and I was like, oh my god, I feel like my teeth are falling out right now. They're it's that sweet. Like there's like two cups of sugar in like every glass. Four cups of liquid. Oh yeah. Mm. Mm. But the barbecue, <laughs> delicious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, and also I think that I I might have moved in during a hurricane. Oh. There was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And cockroaches. Very large ones. That that was the other. <laughs> I had cockroaches in my apartment. I was like, am I gross? Mm-hmm. But no, they're everywhere. Yeah. Mm. So when you go, when you go there, do you have an assistantship? Yes, I did have an assistantship there. And I was studying with Scott Herring and I believe that, yes, this is true. I was his first graduate student there. Oh, all right. And he's like, he's gone just, he's, his, his program has flourished. Yes. Immensely, uh, which has been really great to see. But I, part of the reason why I went, um, well, number one, I, you know, I'm from, or I'm in Columbus. I actually took a couple of lessons with Susan Powell at Ohio State Mm. while I was out of school uh, from Capitol. And like, I was really, really, really wanted to study with her, but I didn't want to stay in Columbus. So I mentioned her friend, Scott Herring. They've been playing together for a really long time now. And I met him and I was like, yeah, this is right. And, and I really liked the, being the, being the first graduate student, like being with him. Um, And he, I don't, can't remember how many years he was there before I got there. It wasn't a lot, but it was, I wanted, I liked being at that space where he was pretty new and kind of developing things. And so I was involved in a lot of stuff that I would maybe not have had the opportunity to be involved in where I like, you know, had gone to like North Texas for that part of my career. Um, And I got to teach a lot. I got to play a lot. And yeah, I taught percussion methods there and private lessons. And I think I did some ensemble stuff too, but I remember, I very distinctly remember my first day of teaching in front of a classroom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And I, I, I was like, okay, this percussion methods, like teaching people how to play the drums, like, yeah, yeah. okay. I had, you know, I made a syllabus. I had a semester plan. I did the class. And then I went to, I went to Scott immediately after the class. And I said, they just looked at me and he was like, well, what did you expect? And I was like, well, I mean, I thought, I just thought that they would be more excited about learning how to play the drums. <laughs> and he's like, oh no, <laughs> no, no you got to do that. You got to make that happen. I was like, and then, and that's when I also like established this um, mantra for myself in which I reminded myself that I was prepared, that I do have something to say Mm -hmm. and none of it really matters anyway. Um, Like nobody's going to die if I say the wrong thing. And I would like literally had to like tell myself this before every class and remind myself that like, I just have to be like one day ahead of them. and. Secondly, if I do not project confidence, I'm never going to be able to teach them. Like they're never going to be able to learn from me. So no matter whether I feel confident or not, I have to project it. Otherwise I cannot do the thing I need to do. And it kind of like helps me get out of myself again. Like don't focus on what is making me feel awkward. Focus on the goal, which is teaching. And if I can focus on that as the primary thing, then I don't worry so much about what I'm doing. And it worked mostly. Yes. On a daily, like it was like literally day by day though. Like, (laughs) 
And it's, yeah. and I'm doing that again, like being in a new space. I'm like, no, one day at a time. All I care about is the teaching. I want them to learn. I want them to love music. This is what I'm trying to do. Don't worry about yourself and just do the thing that yeah. they need. That's fantastic lessons. I had, I had a discussion with a grad student um, here because they were teaching, they uh, requested that for a class they had, they, one of them requested to teach a, like half of a session of music history, which I was teaching this semester. And afterwards I said, you, you know, use your, use your enthusiasm, mm. you know, well, like right. people will stay with you. Even if you, you feel like you're stumbling over stuff, yeah. if you remain enthusiastic, they're like, they're going to give you leeway basically. Yeah. 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 And this is an 8 a.m. class. So it's like, that's like doubly necessary. <laughs> Yes. Like you have to come in on fire so that like you, they, you meet them and it's like, it's something like a happy medium, even though it's not, but yeah, no, it's not at all. I, <laughs> so yeah. 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 My uh, percussion methods class this semester is at eight o'clock and that's the first time I've had an 8am class since I was an undergrad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to get up at five. Right. Yeah, exactly. Be ready. Yeah. Yeah. That's how long it takes. It, that is how long it takes <laughs> to just be able to like speak to people with, <laughs> with a chipper demeanor. Yes. <laughs> God, it's terrible. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I did. I did complain to the Dean. I was like, I'm not a music education major. I don't have to get up at eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But apparently I do. Well, there's no other time. Eight. You have to be on at eight. You don't have to be up at eight. You got to right. be on at eight. <laughs> That's a different but, thing. But could you imagine it, like being in front of a group of like fifth graders at 8 a.m.? I mean, I think you have to get up at three to uh, make that. <laughs> to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, what's funny is we we have a um we have a friend of ours that is um I think she teaches middle school. We would hang out, like we, we would hang out online. She doesn't teach, she, she's in North Carolina, but she would uh We'd be hanging out and and it would be like eight o'clock her time. And she'd be like basically half asleep. Right. Oh, and, yeah. and I, I was like, of course, of course you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Because I'm teaching percussion methods for the first time since graduate school, and because I'm in a new state and I'm kind of trying to get a sense of like, you know, where are the percussionists as they come in and where are they as they go through the the whole K through 12 system. But also, what is, since I'm teaching music ed majors, like, what is it like teaching here? Um, so I've been shadowing. Last week, I shadowed two different um, public school te uh, teachers, one who is a percussion specialist, at, and he does, he's not, he doesn't have any, like, direct band director duties. He's percussion specialist. So I shadowed him for, like, a whole day. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, I went and shadowed a band director who is a percussionist. And... I mean, honestly, after like two hours, I was ready for a nap on both of these. Like I stayed, I, I stayed with them both. Well, I didn't even stay with them for the entire day. Like the, the, the first one I did, I was there at seven 15 until three, three ish yeah. or two 30. But then he had some after school things with the marching percussion, the high school percussionist. And I was like, I got to go. Cause I have to meet. I had another meeting I had to get to, but mm -hmm. That was not even his full day. And then the second one, I didn't show up until 930 because he had a planning period and he had a jazz history class in the morning. And I stayed with him from 930 until 445. 
And that wasn't even his whole day. And he had to go back at night for like another like community band rehearsal or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, it's a lot. It's so tiring. And like just like every 40 minutes, something new. Man, it was really interesting, really telling, really informative. I I got to see at both schools, mm-hmm. 6th grade through 12th grade percussionists and like how they're teaching them, what they're teaching, what is it that they're getting at each level and it it was pretty amazing to see. So I'm going I'm going next week to uh, another school with a percussionist is a band director and then I'm hoping to get one more where there is no percussionist at all because I really want to see what's happening in that space, because that's what, like, that's one of the things too, that like, it's really important for our students to know, like, you're probably not going to get the job as a percussion specialist. Cause that doesn't really exist in a lot of places. Like what 90% of the jobs are, you're going to be the band director and you're the only one there and you have to teach all the things. So like, let's see what that actually seems like. Yeah. Um, so I want to see, um, I'm going to get, get my eyes on that, but man, it takes a lot of <laughs> a lot to get through those days. When you head to North Texas, mm-hmm. how, how was that the prime place you wanted to go? Did you, did you look at a lot of places to do your doctorate? I kind of get kind of forget which ones I looked at for my master's and my DMA. Sure. I, I looked at some point at Arizona State, University of Arizona. I looked at Florida State. Warmer climates, all yes. Yeah, but that wasn't even intentional. I. I it was the teachers that were really yeah, yeah. the teachers. I remember. So when I was choosing my master's, I was choosing the teacher mm-hmm. and, or the um, teaching experience that I would get yeah. when I chose my DMA, I was choosing it for the name. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I just, you know, thinking about where I went to school, capital is not a big school. Um, I mean, it's, it, it has a reputation for sure. Um, and at the time, University of South Carolina, you know, Scott had just gotten there and it, not that it wasn't, it's a big school and it's definitely flourished into some, a very nice program. Yeah. Um, but at the time it was pretty, he was pretty new. So I wanted to go to a school that had a, a long-standing tradition of a, a top-notch name yeah. um, so that I could get some recognition on the, you know, when I send my resume in that the first thing you see is North on the top is your education in North Texas. Woo-hoo! Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but also the other thing I, I went to North Texas for is the diversity of uh, faculty Yeah, in the percussion studio. Cause I, I was very interested everywhere I went. Um, I was, you know, I actually started at Capitol with Eric Payton um, who was teaching Taiko and Brazilian Samba and West African drumming and steel drum. So I, I wanted to continue that. And I did, I did that at, at, um, South Carolina too, but then at North Texas, it was just really awesome to get to study with um, somebody from India on tabla and, you know, the rhythms of North and South Indian classical music and Balinese gamelan. And there was a master drummer from Ghana teaching West African drumming and dance. And that was, that was really the big, the big pull for me. And then I did there, like I had a secondary interest or secondary area of study was ethnomusicology. Hmm. which which turned out to be a really great addition to my skills because at, at SUNY, I, for 15 years, I was teaching Western non-Western in percussion ensembles, and I was also teaching a non-Western seminar course, upper-level seminar course in the music history sequence. Sweet. Yeah, it was awesome. And I, I really missed it, teaching that. I don't want to go back to teaching it, 
because it was like a lot of prep. It was like, yeah. you know, my secondary field and like hadn't really learned, had a lot of teaching of classroom teaching experience. So like I learned all that stuff on the job, but I really enjoyed the content and the the conversations that that class permitted. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So during your DMA, how did it work in terms of who you ended up studying with the time you were there? Um, I, so I studied with Mark Ford for a couple of years. I maybe two years. He was my primary advisor because he was the head of the department or is the head of the department. But I also studied with Christopher Dean um, quite a few times. I studied drum set with Ed Sof. That was amazing. Um, I studied with Paul Rennick. I studied with um, Ed Smith on vibraphone. And uh, I kind of. Was the Ponte there yet or no? Yes, he was there. And I did ensemble with him, but I didn't take any private lessons with him. Yeah, but but it was primarily like the longer term uh, private lesson instructors were, were um, Christopher Dean and Ed Sof. Working with Scott, working with Mark and Chris and and Ed and all them. What, what do you feel like you picked up from them as that would help your teaching at being their students? Well, I mean, I think with, from Bob, it was really about the development of the full percussion, mm-hmm. you know, being a, being a complete percussionist. That's the word that he used. Um, yeah. I'd say like, I don't know. I think everybody's given me something different for sure. Yeah. So again, Christopher Dean, he's like the one who spoke to my soul mm-hmm. <laughs> as a musician, like his support of my musical choices gave me a lot of confidence, I guess, um, in a way that I had not had before. Just like the idea that I was free to make choices and not just stuck to what was on the page. And I think honestly, that that's a huge thing that has impacted my teaching a lot um, because I focus a lot with my students. So say like, this is what's on the page. These are the choices we're allowed to make. And there's choices out there that have not yet been chosen. And mm-hmm. you are free to do that. Like, we want to learn context. We want to learn performance practice. But we also don't want to play everything exactly the same way that it was played by the people before us. Like, music is supposed to move. It's supposed to be dynamic and innovative and yeah. changing, ever-changing. And I want, like, that is that is a huge part of my teaching philosophy. And I and I really think it it's it came from him mm-hmm. uh, and his his acceptance and his just the way that he helped me mold myself that that language is very specific that he helped me mold myself he wasn't molding me he helped me do it myself and I think that was really the first time I felt agency Mm -hmm. of of my own to and that's in grad you know I was a doctoral student like 27 or 6 or whatever however old I was Scott the biggest thing that I I got from him is how to play and teach buzz roles Mm. Uh, it like and and like the two things that I like I was like I never played a buzz roll right before I met him, and I never played a double lateral right on Stephen's grip uh-huh. uh, before I met him. <laughs> I was like, okay, I had no idea I wasn't doing this right. And yeah. those, I, both of them, like have I teach I teach I teach the rules the same way that he taught them to me, and mm-hmm. he was taught them by somebody else. In that way, I think it was John Beck, and then it's so. I will say 
as, as a, myself, a person who did not necessarily identify as a strong drum set player, his approach to teaching was really meaningful to me because I, I honestly feel like he's the kind of person who could take anybody from anywhere and make them better. Yeah. No matter what, like condition that you actually do the things he says you, you're supposed right. to do. Yes. He, that is a very, very, very big condition. And I did everything he told me to do. Yeah. And I did, I got so much better. And, and it was a lot about like personal agency too, but also how to listen, mm-hmm. um, how to listen to myself, how to listen to music in general, just listening to records and yeah. what am I listening for and how do I play with other things that are happening? And 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 just the way that he approached teaching swing, even I will forever use his methods um, in my teaching. So those those I think are the biggest things that have have definitely infiltrated into my my style as a player and as a teacher. I hope they get to hear that. <laughs> those are awesome. Uh, yeah. those, are, those are great. It's like and it's cool. Like I've heard amazing stories about Christine. I've heard amazing mm-hmm. stories about it. So and. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Scott, I've talked to on the mm-hmm. show, like so I kind of know. Um, yeah, and so it's kind of it's it's fun to it's fun to hear like the ways that you can kind of yeah make that happen. When you were at North Texas, who else was there as a student with you? Oh gosh, there was a lot of people there at that time. Jason Nicholson, uh, he's at Utah State. Ellis Hampton, um, who's been t- who was teaching in uh, Texas. Oh my gosh, Akiko Goto. Okay. Uh, and she's back in Japan now. There's oh my gosh, I'm like losing <laughs> losing names. Who were uh, the other grad students when you were there? Do you remember? These were these were all the grad students. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I definitely don't remember the undergrads. There was there's way too many. I mean, there's there was also like a bunch of people who were there that weren't there anymore because they were they were doing their their dissertation or they had oh. finished everything but that. Um, but uh, like I think um Eric Willie, he was mm. there but not there. Jason Baker was there, but not there when I was there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, For you, was the was it like did was there a finishing document or was there just like a lot of recitals? Yeah, actually, I was one of the weird ones that actually did the long paper as a percussionist. Yeah, because I like I also like writing, and I like doing research. I actually did the long paper in addition to, I think it was three recitals or four. I I cannot remember. Yeah. And then, and then a long paper, which ended up being like the, the requirement was a hundred pages, but I think mine ended up being 250 pages with all of the appendices and mm-hmm. other things. Cause what, what was I, research on? I was big into looking again, working with the composition department and yep. working with electronics, even at that point, this was like really when I really started getting into it. Um, yep. So I did a piece by Roger Reynolds called watershed. It's one mm-hmm. that um, Stephen Schick recorded a DVD of that you have it sitting right there what oh my gosh dude i'm, re- I'm, I'm almost done i've been reading it dude, for like how nerdy months. are we we have it within arm's reach it's oh so my great. god it's so good <laughs> oh my gosh yeah it is great i was using that in my primary instrument lit class this semester i had the students just read the first two chapters and went yeah. through the history of percussion ensemble because again this is an audio podcast we were holding <laughs> percussionist art Steve Schick book. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. And literally both of us had it within an arm's reach of where we I know. were very cool. It's um, I mean, how, how, how could we be cooler is, is what nobody uh, ever says. <laughs> that's definitely what nobody is, is ever going to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Um, so, so your, your so, research was on, you were, it was on, uh, 
Watershed by Roger yeah. Reynolds. And um, and also by proxy, I did talk a lot about Stephen Schick in there. I did. In, and so the piece is like a 30 minute piece for, I can't even, I don't remember how many instruments it is now, but like a, a set lot. of wood instruments, a set of metal instruments, yeah. a set of random instruments, a set of skinned instruments. And like, it was the whole thing was like the physical configuration of the instruments was very specific to create certain gestures by the performer but the piece also you can perform it with electronics or without and i did it with the electronics and so like i also got to learn how to read the technical score that had all of the max msp cues and stuff in it so part of what my research was all of the and, and roger reynolds is so smart um so intellectual and so well studied in so many different areas of of existence but yeah, yeah. one thing in in specific was like just the idea of uh, or the theories about um perception and mental cognition like how long can you remember something that you've heard you know in the context of a piece and yeah, so yeah. like i had been reading his books and like then there's this 30 minute piece of music that he wrote mostly derived off of logarithmic sequences and the golden ratio and I mean, obviously I performed the piece. I did like a score analysis. I like created a diagram of what the piece looks like on an Excel, like whatever, like I colored in all these boxes. So you could see like this happens here, 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 and here. So that you could see like the relationships in a visual setting. And then one of the things like in terms of the actual research uh, was that I, I had a questionnaire for the audience members um, about what their experience of it was. And I was trying to, like, I didn't, I wasn't leading them in any way. I, I didn't intend to lead them in any way, but my question was really like all these things that Roger Reynolds set out to do in a very scientific mathematic way, are they actually perceptible by an audience on a first listen? Because I spent six months with that piece. I spent one month on the first page, which was only like eight measures long, just learning how to read it, you know, and in all reality, like the sonic result of all of this stuff that he's written sounds very improvisatory. Um, but there are elements that like clearly come back. The intention of my questions was to find out whether or not they actually experienced or heard any bit of the stuff that he intended to be heard. Yeah. Um, so that was part of the piece and or part of the research. And then the second part of it is that I actually interviewed Roger Reynolds and I interviewed the audio technician that I worked with about his experience working mm -hmm. with it, because like, I was, I'm very interested in the electronics and wanted to know like what skills did he need to have? Cause he had to read my score. And again, it took me a month to learn how to read the first page. And he's, you know, he's, it was a musician and a composer as well. So like, he know how, how to read music, but it's yeah. a complicated mess of stuff and just mm -hmm. all that. So, so with all the interviews, um, I think there were three total and I can't remember what the third one is right now. So the whole thing ended up being like 250 pages of text, which I was very happy. That was fun. <laughs> I, I liked it. Yeah. Or I enjoyed the process and I've never read it again. Yeah. I'm sure nobody else has either. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they call you doctor because. Yes, they do. Yep. <laughs> What, do you get the job like what like as you're finishing out? Yes. So I I started at North Texas in 2005. I had finished all of my recitals 
and got the job in 2008. Okay. So the fall of 2008. And then I didn't do any, like I hadn't finished my dissertation, but everything else was done. So I did the, I took the job in 2008, did the fall semester, didn't do any work on my dissertation because first semester teaching. Yeah, yeah. And then in the spring, I start, I wrote my proposal for my dissertation. I believe I had to go to North Texas to get that approved. Sure. And then over the summer, I went to North Texas for like a month and just did, you know, did all the work there. And then in the fall of 2009, I did the defense of the dissertation sometime in like October. And then I did have to go to Texas for that. And then, yeah, graduated in December 2009. At Oneonta, was your job predicated in terms of your ranking based on being done with the dis, with your no. doctorate? Nope. Okay. Nope. It was, I mean, assistant professor. And yeah, that's one of those funny questions that like my parents kept asking me, are you going to get a raise when you get your your degree? I'm like, no. No, I just get to, I just get to still be here. I just get to still be here. And then, and then are you going to get a raise when you get to associate professor or when you get tenured? I'm like, yeah, but not much. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Technically, yes. Will I feel it? Well, probably not. It'll be like an extra five dollars every paycheck. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> not really. Oh, that wasn't true. Yeah. Well, I finish up with a segment called "Random Ask Questions." Okay. <laughs> so, uh, first question: uh, an issue in percussion education, percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts. That the early pedagogy seems to focus on technique and not musicianship. I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, you can go, you can go longer on that. Mm, no, do I need to clarify it? It's kind of like they're doing one at the expense of the other. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I don't know what you do. I feel like that's kind of covers it. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it there. Okay. You uh, next question. You kind of alluded to this, but I, I'm curious for a little bit more um, in terms of, you know, you coming into a space at Capital where you're the only woman who is teaching percussion, who's even part of the studio. It sounds like at the moment, mm-hmm. and so the the framing here is just being a woman in the mostly male percussion world. I mean, honestly. I'd say for most of my early time as a percussionist, I won't say that I didn't notice, but like inside of myself, like I didn't notice that I, like there was no difference to me. The thing that mostly got me was like what I said before about like being very visible and not being a person who really wants to be very visible. That was a little bit much. So I, kind of would hide myself a lot. I've only had one or two overtly negative experiences um, because of it. But the but the more that I've even been educated myself about systemic racism and you know, sexism yeah. and all that stuff, like the more I've been educated about it, the more it bothers me, which feels weird to say, like as a woman, like I, it didn't bother me before. Like I was fine just being one of the guys. I see. Um, but the, but and that's what it was. But like, also like I, I was also raised with, I have three brothers and no sisters. Like there was nothing abnormal about any of this for me. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing to talk about. And it is, it's also, it's weird for me to, to acknowledge to myself that like, 
it's more bothersome to me now than it was 20 years ago when maybe I was being more affected by it. Sure. Um, but just kind of unaware or like maybe even in some, some ways like playing into it, you know, but there are things that, 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 that irritate me about some of that too. There's just like some, some, some systemic things within our culture of percussion, academic percussion, especially that do get under my skin. Um, I've been even, even starting at this new institution, I've been referenced as the percussion lady, like in, in, in ways that are clearly not like intended to be a respectful thing. And there's also expectations like, that I, I I do feel like I have to be perfect. I cannot fail at anything without being called out. I mean, anything I fail at, I will be called out on anything, um, which I think that's a past that like white men do not necessarily have to deal with. Uh, everybody no. else does, but we don't. Um, it just gets very tiring. Um, because I also like, I'm also like, I've embodied that. Like, I feel like I need to be perfect and I don't. Yeah. And I need, I need to be able, you know, like, it's just hard to live in that space. This comes up a lot. Yeah. Because um, my wife's an academic mm-hmm. thing she's had to deal with. I'm like, nope. Yeah. I'm to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, see that with a lot of the female faculty. I, it's weird. It's like one of the ways that, that this shows up is in, evals will just yeah. like they'll just get the most oh. sexist degrading yeah garbage on their things yeah. i'm like hey, i don't yeah i have, I have I no know. idea I know. I know you're dealing with it i've never i do not receive any of that has anyone ever nailed an impression of you <laughs> so how'd they do it i don't know if the students at capital are doing this yet okay i don't know that they have an impression of me i haven't seen it it's only been a year sure um, but at my previous institution, um, the, the impression of me is, is not even audible. Um, <laughs> it's more like a dead space, a dead, um, <laughs> dead pan. Yeah. De- yeah. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> or like, really? That's, that's it. That's it. That's it. Um, it's, I don't know that it's hard to do that. Um, <laughs> And I appreciate that it's so simple. Um, But yeah, that that's, I mean, and that's, that's it. Like, that's good because usually people know where they stand and like, I'm just like, yeah, mm, (laughs) not, not so much. Um, Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's That's my level of of, uh, public shaming there. That's as far as I go. (laughs) Right. Right. But I like, I like (laughs) just like, it's one gesture and that's it. Very simple. Anybody can do it. Just stare. That's it. I am a woman of very few words sometimes. <laughs> nice. All right. Next question. question. Um, I really love that one. <laughs> okay. All right. What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? Probably that one pair of high heels that I have mm. <laughs> that I wear like once every five years. I've mm. had the same one pair for probably 20 years. Mm. It's okay. pretty practical. Yeah. I, I don't need those. Mm-hmm. And then I always regret it when I do wear them. Mm. So then it's, you know, then I wait another five years before I, I put it on. 
So, but, so where are we in the cycle right now? We are we like are um, we it's been a another? Good, I think I'm I'm in for like I I probably got a good another two years before I have to wear them again. Gotcha. Yeah. But I'm I'm very very impressed with my ability to keep a shoe in good good condition. At least that kind. Like tennis right. shoes, I go through like crazy. But of course, those dress yeah. shoes, yeah. I go for, I go for flats. I mean, it's impractical, you know, I can't, yeah. I mean, there are people that play marimba and drum sets in high heels, but I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to walk people, in. Them, so. Yeah. Those people are named Sheila E. There you are. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't have that in me. <laughs> nice. But that's right. also uh, a very good question. <laughs> what's that? That's also a very good question. <laughs> and unexpected. Right. Gotcha. All right. What is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? It's a really difficult question (laughs) (laughs) Um, because some terrible movies are just so terrible that they're great. Um, Oh, sure. Yeah. I'll just say it like for great movies. I'll just give you one. Sure. Office Space. Oh, yes. Great movie. I watch that every year at the end of the school year when I'm ready to blow everything up. And then they they take it out on the printer and you feel yes 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 that is my release at the end of the school year terrible movie though I mean I don't, there's so many terrible movies but like I I don't even I won't even go into like terrible movies that are good but like terrible movies that are just not funny not they're just stupid mm-hmm. not funny like they're trying to be funny but they're not funny I can't like I can't even I can't even remember a terrible movie because I don't finish watching them. And I, (laughs) I can't even think of a terrible movie right now. I just blank it out. Sure. Fair enough. They go in for comedy. They don't get it. And you're just out. Yeah. 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 I got you. Yeah. All right. What's a favorite book? Well, I'll just, okay. I'll Mm -hmm. give you favorite book uh, that I most recently read. Okay. Because I have a lot of favorite books. Oh, good. Um, but, I'm, I'm happy to hear all of them. Oh, okay. A favorite book that I most recently read uh, is called Overstory. Okay. By um, Richard, pa- Richard Powers. I think that's the right name. Okay. Um, it's, it's a novel, maybe like four or 500 pages. The, the books that I like the best are books that play with form. Okay. Mm, sure. Um, so this book plays with form in that they try to convey time from the perspective of a tree. Okay. It's not like the tree is telling the story, but the fact is that trees live a lot longer than humans do. And a lot more happens in the life of a tree than happens in the life of a human. The beginning chapter of this book or two chapters, I think it's just centered around this one tree or actually I think it started out as five trees on this property of an old farmhouse from like, I don't know, the 17, whatever hundreds or something like that. And it, it talks about the families that have lived in that property that were, it was like passed down from generation to generation in a single family. And, but that tree or those trees that ended up, you know, 200 years later, just being a single tree and, how that tree played in the life of all the people that lived in it over these generations and what, what it served or what, what use it served for the different family members. And it was just like 
to have a moment of like finishing a chapter where this tree was dead <laughs> was like have never cried about a tree dying before yeah. but it was it was amazing um so love the there's so much more to the book it's i mean that's just the first two chapters and it goes into all these lives of different people that intervene with trees in some way or interact with trees in some way and just there's just so many different threads it's it's really a phenomenal book um if you like to read that's a book to go for cool i also really like paul oster mm. remind yeah. me what's what he's written because i might he's have written this. um quite a few books one called the invention of solitude i'm forgetting some of the other smaller books that he's written that's that's a short a short one but it's about his he basically was like learning about his father after his father died while he was cleaning out his father's house. And the whole book is about like him learning who his father really was. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. But then he wrote a couple of years, wrote a novel called four, three, two, one, which is a thousand page or more something like 1100, 1200 page epic. Um, and, and again, this is the one that plays with the form. It's like the life of this one particular person who was growing up in the 60s and 70s, he basically writes four different versions of that person's life. It's kind of like the manifestation of like a choose your own adventures sure. in four different ways. Um, but the but the really interesting thing, so like the, fir the first section is this iteration of his life. This is the next iteration. This is the next. So they all start at the same place, but they all end in different places because his life goes in different directions. Yeah, yeah. But the really cool thing about it is that in each of those, in all four stories, some of the same people show up, but have different relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to see like in one version of the story, this one girl that he became really good friends with or be, was best friends with and went to college with and all of that stuff. In the story, his parents had divorced and one of his parents married her parent and they became step siblings. Um, and it just like little interesting things like that to say that like, you know, you may make a bunch of different choices in your life, but some things may still be present similarly, um, which I think is a really interesting, interesting way to, to do that. So those are my like two most recent favorites, but also love like Atlas Shrugged and Fountainhead and Rand and. Oh, wow. Yeah. Love those. That's a, that's interesting. I know. I know. <laughs> and it's weird because the first time that I read them, I had no idea who she was or like sure. what all of her philosophies were. Mm -hmm. And and even though I know what those are now, I still, there's something about like this ideal society that is attractive to me mm -hmm. where people excel at their skill and just trade that. Like, yeah. that sounds amazing. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's much more deep seated things in there in her intentions, but yeah. still love them. Probably. I would say probably, and I haven't read Atlas Shrugged, but I have read Fountainhead, like not, and not too long ago, I would say within the last like three, four years. And I, I, I actually found it quite good. I mean, yeah. it, it was, it was longer than it needed to be, but that's a lot yeah. of stuff. But, yeah. uh, but, but I agree. Like there's a lot that was like, I could, I was like, I get it. I get why people really love yeah. these characters. Yeah. And I also like, there's something about the, the strong female characters in there mm -hmm. that I appreciate and, yeah. and, and that they're like very, uh, what's the word? Like isolated too. Mm -hmm. 
there's something that resonates with me on that one. <laughs> so I think, I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're all, well, okay. So again, yeah, just, just going off the one, but yeah, like, um, Dominique, is that her name? Yeah. 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 In, yep. Yep. In Fountainhead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very, it's like, uh, you're almost reading a male character or a typical male mm-hmm. character in her. Right. Right. Because that, I mean, and that's how the world is responding to her too. Like yeah. she's so bitchy and she's so cold and icy, yeah. but she's not. Right. She's not. <laughs> she's not. No. But she's not giving anyone else yeah. any of the any of the other part of her, basically. Yeah. 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 Do you have a sports fandom? We talked a little bit about sports, but like, do I like sports? Do you, yeah, like teams or or not really. The only yeah. sport that I actually watch is tennis. Um, and I've kind of like lost all of the names. Like I was big into watching it when I was in high school. Like I had the all the like Federer and, oh my gosh, I can't even, uh, Agassi. Agassi Sampras. Yes. Them like, and, and now I don't, I don't know anybody's name now, but I, I still like watching it. Okay. Also, I write, I watch bicycling too, which is totally like weird because it's, again, (laughs) it's like just riding and you're just riding. Like, yeah, yeah. But I, but I've been, I've gotten into road cycling and mountain biking too as an adult. So hmm. I, I kind of watch that, but I don't really watch any other sports though. I do enjoy going to a game. Like it's fun. Yeah. I don't not like sports. I right. just don't like what I'd rather do them than watch them. Sure. Yeah. Do, do you pay attention? Like when the tour de France is on, or are you like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have it on. Like, I'm not like, I gotta see everything, you know, but like, right. I'll have it on because I like the sound. I like the. Mm-hmm. The, like the it's beautiful yeah oh <laughs> yeah it's, it's beautiful so yeah i'll watch i'll watch that and wimbledon I, oh yeah yeah well that's this what's fun is is like you get the french open and wimbledon mm-hmm. are like like right it right it's like when you're not doing all the other your work right, right? It's great i also love watching the olympics i will always okay. watch the olympics do you have what do you have a favorite sport when that's on I mean, I love watching snow and ice sports, mm. any of them. Like, and I, I, mean, I love watching track and field, like the, all the, all the things and swimming. Yeah. I, yeah, I pretty much watch, I'll watch whatever is on. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> but, and again, that's also like, just kind of like, I'm just about like having it on. Like, I'm not yeah. like, gotta see this. Right. Right. But some, some of it, some of it is, I do like. I think the sw- I think probably the swimming and the running is what I get into watching the most, mostly because it's short. Yeah, sure. And all the, of course, beach volleyball, like that's, that's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. I say, of course, like everybody should feel like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, I, I, uh, a good friend of mine once said, he's like, one of my favorite things about the Olympics in particular is like, you know, for th- almost three, almost four complete years, like there are sports you're like, I don't, I don't care about, you know, like, or, you know, he's someone who's like me, like big, like we're big sports fans. We watch a lot of things. Yep. He's like, but then like for two weeks, you're like, I'm going to team handballs on and I'm going to watch. <laughs> yeah, right. Or, <laughs> or like curling. The, the curling. Yes. That's yeah. the one <laughs> I watched that just because like, what? Yeah. Happening? Why am I watching this? And yet and you're just like, come on, come on. More, yeah. more, more brushing <laughs> direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the, uh, uh, when Stephen Colbert did the curling, he went to Canada or something. And oh yeah, or something. Did curling that like that was that was like like 
six or eight or years ago. That was, that was a, a while ago, ago, but yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. All right, what's something on on a pop culture level more probably more obscure? But let's say you meet someone and they're like, "Oh, I like this," whatever that is, and you immediately like, "All right, we're good." Oh, what's that for you? Or it could be an activity or something, yeah. something where you're like, I think it's probably biking, hmm. honestly, because I can't. I'm like always looking for people hmm. to, to bike with. Um, just that I don't know if that's the if that's the if that's the thing. That's the sure. first thing that popped to my mind. Sure, no, that can work. Because I don't. I mean, I don't do much other than like bike, hike you know, those kind of things and music and, and I love cooking and I love gardening oh. and I love eating. Um, yeah. So yeah. Like if, if I, if I find and reading like very, mm-hmm. mostly very solitary things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's probably biking. Oh. That's like, especially like, uh, that's what's like popping in my head. Like recently, like, especially moving to a new place. I'm like, I got to find somebody that does not do music. Yes. I need that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right now I don't have, I don't know anybody here that I that is not a musician mm. right now. And that's, I need that to change. And so, yeah, yeah that's, I'm, that's I'm not quite, yeah. 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 So hopefully, hopefully the summer I will find some, I will find some non-musician friends. All right. Good luck, Although I have found some musician friends that do bike, hmm. but then, and also I work with them. So then I like well, biking and talking about work and talking about music. And I, yeah. that's that. not what, that's not what I asked for. That's not what I asked for. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, all right. On the kitchen side, what's your biggest kitchen mess up? All I can remember is one time when I was in like high school, yeah. I burned pasta because I walked away uh-huh. and let the water de- disintegrate, you know, evaporate. And then I burned the pasta. That's all. Otherwise, okay. no matter. That's not true. I just, I just can't. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything very specifically because, like, I never follow recipes. I don't bake. I do okay. not bake because you have to follow a recipe and you have to do things okay. right. Um, I'm very much a um, like whatever's in the refrigerator. We're gonna make something. Like, mm-hmm. I make a lot of soup. I make a lot of like stir fry kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Things that that you can just you know, keep adding stuff to it and it just sure. keeps getting, you can make, you can keep making it better. So like, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to mess it up. Um, what's your, what's your stir frying in, um, sauces? Well, I do like a lot of curry type things, mm-hmm. but honestly it's too. Sometimes I, I kind of just, I often just like the taste of the food okay. with, without spices on it too. Like I like the taste of broccoli and steak. And, you know, make those stir fry those baby to go. a little bit of salt and pepper. That's enough. Yeah, so yeah. I, I like to keep things simple too. Um, but I, I am Italian. So like mm-hmm. my specialty is the making the sauce, like from scratch. And I can make a pasta from scratch and that, that kind of stuff. I do enjoy, enjoy that. And, and it's like the things that I fail at are, it's just like when something smells really good and you're like, yes. And then you eat it and you're like, that doesn't quite come through in the taste bud area. And I'm not sure why, mm. uh, but that happens. 
I'd say every once every couple of months, something will happen. I'll be like this, I think this is going to be really good. And then I taste it. I'm like, eh, really did not cut it. And maybe if I'd use the recipe, I would, I would do better, but <laughs> no. What's your, what's your sauce? What kind of sauce are you typically like a pasta sauce, like a, yes. like a tomato based pasta sauce or tomato based pasta sauce. Yeah. Um, yeah. And from like, you know, canned tomatoes, a mm-hmm. little bit of tomato paste mm-hmm. and like, but it starts with onions. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And celery and carrots chopped very like finely grated or chopped very fine. Yeah. Um, and then like, I basically make like a vegetable broth before I put the tomatoes in. Mm. Gotcha. Add that. And then once all that's the tomatoes are in and the sauce, like the tomato paste is in and the water, um, there has to be some kind of animal fat or it's really hard to make it good. Do I am like, when I cook a chicken, I will boil the bro- the bones and make broth like homemade broth and use that for my chicken or for my pasta sauce. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's very good. I don't necessarily like meat sauce, mm-hmm. but I like to have the flavor of meat. So like I will throw in a pork chop or throw like whole or throw in like a whole chicken breast or chicken, whatever, just something to add the flavor. And then I could take that out of the sauce after or before I eat it. But yeah, that's, that's my specialty. That's That's awesome. mm -hmm. When you make it, do you, do you like put like freeze some of it so that you can have it for like multiple meals? Oh yeah. 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 Because when I make it, the pot I make it in is like, (laughs) yeah. And I have this, I have a wooden spoon who the head of the wooden spoon is like this big. And I stir it like, you know, like a big, like witch's brew. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, then I, then I like, I'll have like sauce for like probably 10 meals. Yeah. Which is good. And that usually lasts me all year because like, I don't actually eat pasta that much anymore. As I've gotten older, I've become more intolerant to eating uh, spaghetti um, Mm. and glutens and all that stuff, I guess. But that's uh, very sad. It's very sad. I know. Yeah. I know. But I still do it. <laughs> Just not every week or three times a week like I used to. I do it yes. maybe like once every two or three weeks. Yeah. That's manageable. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want to presume, but I was like, Lakata is like, yeah. like my last name. I it's mean, like obviously. a Zambito. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but we're, we're in, um, we're in uh, Italy. Um, so name? my grandmother, um, her maiden name is Vaca, V-O-C-C-A, and okay. her family is from uh, Southern Italy, and there's a, there's actually a Vaca, Italy. Okay, um, it's on the. I want to say I can't remember if it's southeast or southwest coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my grandfather's family, um, there is actually a Lakata Sicily on the southern coast of Sicily. Oh, okay. So we got half half Italian, half Sicilian. Oh wow! I mean, I, I'm only t- quarter of each, but because um, mm-hmm. my mom is a uh, a bunch of different things like German and Hungarian and French and Swedish. <laughs> so I got that's that's where I get the looks. Where's your family from? Father, so his family is is I think north side of Sicily. I don't mm. know. I've never, it's Porto Empedocle is the name of the town. Mm. It's on the, it's mm. on the coast. And then my mom is is Slovak. Oh, nice. So, so her last name is Sikoriak. Sikoriak. Yeah. And how do you spell Sikoriak that? It's like actually, it's like it was an Americanized, so it's it was it's Sikoriak, but there's no Y, I don't think. And 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 yeah. so it's like S I K O R J A K is like yeah. the actual yeah yeah. Um, 
spelling. <laughs> but we were, but with like the 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 food thing, like all that stuff, like oh yeah, mom had her own sauce. Like she wasn't Italian, but she like learned how to make all the stuff because my oh, yeah. dad wanted to eat it. Yeah. So we all yeah. Yeah, my 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 dad cooked the most um, oh, okay. that kind of stuff, but my mom like learned how to do. My mom basically learned how to cook from my dad because yeah. my my mom grew up eating like you know meat and potatoes kind of like mm-hmm. stuff, and not yeah, I yeah. mean it was all good too. But yeah, we definitely erred on the Italian side a lot more on the food, yeah. and all my brothers can cook too. Oh, sweet! Yeah, nice. All right, uh, a couple more questions. Where somewhere you have not. Not travel to they still want to get to india hmm. yeah for the That's... music side that we've already discussed yeah yeah i mean i've studied so i've studied a little bit but i i've always wanted to go and haven't haven't been there yet but mm-hmm. there's so many places i want to go i want to go to tuva. tuva it is uh shares a southern the northern coast of mongolia or the oh, northern okay. border of mongolia Big throat singing tradition. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I really want to go there, and I really want to go to India. I think those are probably my t- well. And also, I have not been anywhere in South America. I oh. almost got to go to Argentina, and then COVID happened, and it didn't happen. So yeah, but yeah, gotcha. there's a there's a lot of places I want to I want to go a lot of places. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Those are my top two. Yeah. When when you were in Oneonta, did you? go either to Canada or like to like Maine, Vermont. Yeah. Yeah, I did actually went on a, a like a road trip around the Northeast States, Mm. actually more than once. I did one trip with my, my grandmother and I did one trip with my mom and my aunt. And Mm. then I took the train up to Montreal from Mm -hmm. Albany. Um, and I've been to Niagara Falls in the United States and in Canada a couple of times. Yeah. It's a beautiful area. Yeah. I definitely miss that in Columbus. Columbus is not very pretty. What? This is what? shocking. This is <laughs> shocking news. Yes. Oh, among other things, this is this is the news that we are presenting today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do the last couple strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you. It's not funny at all. Okay. All right. <laughs> but the thing that's coming to my mind is the time that I was my first recital, my first percussion studio class at North Texas, mm-hmm. it was terrible. Okay. <laughs> I got up on the stage. I had played on some percussion ensemble piece earlier in the recital studio class. And then I had to get up and play a solo. It was land. Mm. Uh, yeah. And this was like September like the end of September of my first semester at North Texas, I get up on the stage to play the piece. I was in front of like the 150. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So this is not funny at all. Right. No. Yeah. I gotcha. Um, But I, I go and I play the beginning, the intro of the piece, everything's feeling really good. And then, you know, you you know, the piece, right? Not super well, but I mean, I've heard it a few times. So there's like an, like a free, like sort of uh what's the word like a recitative improvisatory yes. beginning and then it goes to the boom melody obvious yeah, yeah. hollywood chord section mm-hmm. yeah i do all the beginning and i go down to that e flat and i strike that e flat and my body stops body stops i just i just stopped i forgot what was next <laughs> i literally forgot what was next oh i God. did it, and so i was like i just like went and hit it again 
And I'm looking like, what? Mm. And then I went all the way back to the beginning and I got to that same spot again. And I literally just struck it. And again, my body just stopped. And I was like, I just looked up and said, I guess I don't remember what's coming next. (laughs) See ya. You said that? Yes. I just, I, what else, what else am I going to do? I had like, I, like, I, I guess I don't remember what's next. And so I walk off the stage, I run down into the basement and of course I play it perfectly. And and, and by the time I'm done playing it perfectly, Christopher Dean made his way down to the basement to, to make sure I was okay. And I was like, no man, I'm fine. Like, I know, I know the, I know, I know the pieces. I was just really pissed off about something and I couldn't, couldn't focus. enough to get myself through this and he was like okay thank god because like that could be really really detrimental and i and even i said i was like if that had happened at any other time earlier in my career oh it would have been extremely traumatizing but i was like you know old enough to know that like shit happens yeah i was distracted this doesn't mean i'm a shitty person doesn't mean i'm a shitty musician i like literally just could not focus to get through what I needed to get through because I was so mad about something that had happened. And that's, that was that. So that that's, that's the thing that comes up and it's, but it's great because I have a really good story for my students mm-hmm. to share. And uh, I think that it has to happen to everybody in some way. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It just has to happen. Ha- yeah. It's like, how do you get off stage? I, I was, <laughs> part of me, part of me wondered if you were going to just bow, right? No, no, the, just the peace sign. Sure. Um, yeah. I was like, do you bow or do you like, do you treat it like you nailed the piece? Obviously <laughs> right. this is like the wrong place. This is not the crowd for that, for sure. Like no, if, it was, if it was like in front of my parents or at like a church yeah. or something like I probably would have been able to like, just like fake my way through it. But everybody knows the piece. There's 150 yeah. of those assholes out there judging you. You know, <laughs> there's no messing up here. <laughs> oh no. my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a that was a moment. Right, <laughs> that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but I'm glad that you've made it. A, it's be, become it a, a learning, a learning, a moment. learning experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Julie. Last question. One piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything art on the arts level has impacted you the most recently. Well, okay. This is, this is kind of funny, but this is, this is the truth. I, uh, like a couple of weeks ago played tambourine for the Broadway musical ain't too proud. Mm. Oh, that's, that's an awesome part. I would bet. Oh my God. It was transcendent. I have never been so happy to play so many backbeats so much so and i learned like the whole gospel techniques with the you know the the eighth the, having to do like the fast 16th note eighth note like clap and yeah. accent patterns and stuff yeah it was so transcendent i mean not i mean not only was the band that we were playing with amazing um the music is amazing yeah but i so much enjoyed it that i am going to like purchase my own gospel tambourine and i am going to get some lessons on the tambourine, the gospel tambourine, and uh, pursued that a little bit. I never would have thought, but it was it was seriously like, I'm I'm the kind of drummer that like I'm not flashy, 
I like to do my job and just mm-hmm. do my job and like lay down the beat. Yeah. Like I, that, like my dream gig as a drummer is to play with the roots. Oh yes. That'd that's be awesome. I, yeah. Right. Like that's, that's all I want to do is just, I just want to play the beat. Just replace you know, quest love. It's fine. Quest love. Yeah, I got this. We're fine. Yeah. Whatever. Like <laughs> just play the beat, you know, a few little sweet fills here and there, Yeah. but just the groove. It's all about the groove. Like that's what I want. And gig with the tambourine the music of the temptations it's like that backbeat was so so sweet like for a week playing with the drummer and like this living like we were playing with the playing with the drummer but also playing with a click track mm-hmm. and it was just so so much fun to listen to the click track and play with the drummer behind it forever like it was just Oh, it was a dream. It was seriously a dream. So yeah, I, that is definitely the most recent um, impactful musical experience that I've had. Yeah. And I, and I am going to get some tambourine lessons. It's going to be, it's going to be sweet. Do it. I can't imagine a better tambourine gig. No, Literally. never. Well, and the funny thing is, is that like, as I'm like playing the tambourine, the, like the book has like all past and stuff in it. And like, you can kind of fake your way through this with your traditional classical techniques, the, the fist knee thing. And, yeah. and when I, so I did not do that. I was like, I'm not playing like carnival overture. Yeah. Right. Why would I play like that? So I learned the, the, the techniques and like the, the musicians were like, as soon as we did the first piece that required this kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. Stuff, they were like, yeah, it's like, because they, they're used to seeing this, like the fist knee um, technique being played on that. And like, it doesn't feel the same. Yeah. yeah it was just it was a it was transcendent that's all i got man i was i was just joyed like every moment of that entire experience and it was a lot of hours um yeah oh that's, mm. oh, that's the best mm-hmm. have you, are you familiar with there's a documentary called standing in the shadows of motown do you know i have it? not seen it yet i have heard of it but i i know yeah. It's about the the Funk Brothers, about the the band that played on all the the hits from the sixties and seventies. Yeah, and there's a whole one of my favorite things is I can't remember the the guy's name, but the guy who played tambourine on like all right. the stuff does right. a demonstration to "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" specifically that song. Oh, damn! And it's, okay. and it's like twenty seconds, but it's it's perfection. Oh my gosh, I need to watch that. Okay. Yeah. that is happening today. <laughs> so, awesome. Wow. All right. Julie, we're done. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yes. Thank you for doing this. It's really fun. And I've, I've enjoyed all of the ones that I listen to and it's nice. It's just, it's a great, it's a great thing for the community. It's really cool. Well, thank you for saying that. What a complete joy getting to talk to Julie over these past two episodes. It was great getting to know her and her story, and I look very much forward to keeping up with her career as it progresses and for getting to meet her again in the near future. Thanks again, Julie. This week's rave are two films with the same character that came out nearly 40 years apart that, in one case, was a joyful rewatch, and in another was a fun first-time viewing. These are the 1985 film Fletch 
starring Chevy Chase and directed by Michael Ritchie, and the 2022 film Confess Fletch, starring John Hamm and directed by Greg Matola. Both films are readily available through streaming services. I want to start off by also saying that I recently read both books of the same names upon which these movies are based on. Both are written by Gregory MacDonald and were written in the late 70s and early 80s. The books were decent, and honestly, the second one was fine. But you could definitely see why these would work as movies with the right actor in these roles. The general plot idea is that Fletch is Erwin M. Fletcher, an investigative reporter who gets involved in bizarre cases and situations, and wise cracks his way throughout, and also finds unique ways to uncover the details of the cases to solve them. The original Fletch is a film I've watched many, many times over my life, though I hadn't watched fully for a long time. The one-liners that are all over this film are still among my favorites from one movie ever, and are ones that get passed around family and friends on a regular basis. Because that's what happens when you order the steak sandwich and the steak sandwich. Pause for laughter. I should point out, before running to go watch this film, it's from the 1980s, and there's a lot of humor in this film that is bad and un-PC and does not hold up well. So just be aware that I am aware of that and be aware should you go watch this. But on the flip side, a lot of the film is still very funny and peak Chevy Chase back then, pretty cool. It was all quite enjoyable. The newest version, starring John Hamm, also very good. The film is filled with a lot of great secondary characters, particularly Roy Wood Jr. as the detective, Annie Mumolo as an absent-minded neighbor, Kyle McLaughlin as an art professor, and Aiden Mayeri as the Detective Grizz. But it's John Hamm's show as Fletch. The situations are similar, the dialogue is a lot of fun, and there are some terrific moments throughout. Nothing much else to say other than both movies are a good time, and you should check out both the original 1985 Fletch and the 2022 Confess Fletch. Enjoy! And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's Perk Pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.